0: They're putting a very optimistic interpretation on what the data show. And I don't realistically see these drugs making a noticeable difference to patients, I'm afraid. Now, if we look at, for example, on a 90-point ADAS-COG scale, the advantage of taking the nanomab was 1.4 points. I don't think these drugs can be considered to be regarded as effective. Obviously, I want to be positive and optimistic about progress. But my appraisal of the evidence is that overall it wouldn't be good. Welcome to Medical Mindfield,
1: the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman.
2: And I'm Eve Simmons.
1: And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to.
2: This week, we're asking, is the new Alzheimer's wonder drug all it's cracked up to be?
1: As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question for us or a suggestion at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. So if you are one of the uh, roughly one million people living with an Alzheimer's or dementia diagnosis in the UK... At the moment, Monday and Tuesday's headlines uh, will have been of great interest. There is a big dementia conference going on at the moment, and there was a trial announced for a drug called Donanimab.
2: If you need uh, a way of remembering it. Think of a doner kebab.
1: Oh, very good, very good. Thank you. And the big trial that has been testing this drug out on dementia patients announced their findings and it made headlines around the world. Wonder Drug, Turning Point. I particularly like The Sun. Uh, else Wonder Drug able to declog brain in six months. Sounds pretty good.
2: Very, very snappy, isn't it?
1: Top line was that the drug had shown that it could slow Alzheimer's by up to 60%. Which is, it's very impressive. It sounds very exciting. In the days after, we were treated to stories from patients. And one that really caught my eye was in the Times a patient aged 65 who had lost the ability to drive and do other things and, and had regained it, mm. apparently, while taking this drug, which was not what they found on the trial. It wasn't just slowing the progression of it was, reversing it, was it. reversing it which our reporter ethan ells who's been covering this mm. said on twitter was a bit bizarre we we've slightly been out of step with the i think it'd be fair to say with the with the main way these drugs it's the second drug that has shown a great effect in dementia uh, the first was lecanemab last year and again it was you know turning point one drug the beginning of the end for dementia etc and we've basically been the only people Ethan in particular has been covering this the fact that not all doctors are as euphoric about these drugs uh, because the trials actually when you look at them there's only a very small difference in the decline seen when with people taking a placebo and Mm. with with the people taking the real drug the the, in actual numbers so although it might be a you know 30% 60% Uh, difference between the two groups
2: Mm.
1: actually it's in real numbers in real numbers it might be the difference between four and six
2: and these drugs all work in the same way don't they they clear amyloid from the brain which is a protein that becomes clogged in the brain and builds up over time and the theory is that it causes the brain damage that we see yeah. So dementia.
1: there is, there is this, they, they know that the, the, this protein is in, in the brain in higher quantities with some, some people with dementia. Some people who have higher quantities of it don't have dementia. So there's been question marks, although th- there is, it's mm. the amyloid theory. In fact, there was a growing feeling that perhaps amyloid wasn't the answer. Mm. So these drugs clear the amyloid, as you say. Mm. And the idea was that by doing that, it would, you know, prevent decline in dementia in some way Mm. but previous drugs to these didn't manage to have any effect
2: the other thing that i was really interested in looking at the reports on this drug is having you know read in depth ethan's pieces i was very aware that this family of drugs have a a worrying effect on the brain That in some cases there are side effects Side effects mm. and it, nowhere in the reports that the side effects of Donanimab ever seem to be mentioned, which I thought was well, I thought
1: this t- I mean the Laanaab stories from last year they were completely free of any mention mm. of side effects. We were the only people talking about the side effects, and it involves swelling and, and bleeding in the brain that can be fatal mm. and, and in fact has been fatal, so people on these trials have, died, have died of mm. this side effect. So it's, it's not an insignificant concern. And, and in order to monitor patients, they'd need regular brain scans mm. and et cetera. Most doctors will agree that this is, perhaps it should be referred to as proof of concept, mm. Mm. that this shows that that by clearing amyloid, something can happen. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, the, the effect is so modest mm. it, that people have said it's it's more like a proof of concept.
2: Mm. And there are side effects, serious side effects to consider, mm. Um and, yeah. you know, the more patients that you enroll in trials, the more there is a risk that, you know, one of them could die because of this drug.
1: Yeah. I mean, interestingly, uh, the, the with that they saw these side effects over a much longer period. Mm. But in this trial for donanumab, these, these serious side effects happen right at the start. Um, so, mm. uh, you know, it's definitely not something to ignore.
2: And the FDA in the US, the health chiefs in the US have, have put a black box warning on lecanumab. Even though they've approved it, so they are taking those risks very seriously.
1: Mm. I'm slightly aware that, that in this conversation we sound like complete killjoys, yeah. and <laughs> uh, you know that, that we're we're looking at negatives in a story that could give hope. And there are people who have taken this drug and have nothing but positive things to say about it. Clearly, mm. but this is a reflection of not a small group Mm. of doctors who spend their lives treating people with dementia who are very concerned about you know while welcoming advances in this area are concerned about the hype Mm. that might lead families to perhaps get the wrong idea about what might be able to be done for the condition Mm. and obviously it's a it's a really difficult situation. But, you know, I mean, I, I've got a close friend myself who who has uh, Alzheimer's and seeing what the family mm. are going through and, uh, you know, how it's affecting everyone and, and also how it's affected my friend. You know, it's, a, dre- you know, I mean, you, you don't need to say It's it a nightmare any- for everyone. It's a to, nightmare yeah. for everyone. And, 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 and everyone is, it would be desperate for, for something that would really take that Pain away. And
2: it's something that affects so many people, so it's not an it, insignificant really, number.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I think it's important that we hear from one of the, the more sceptical doctors about this, I- exactly why he is concerned. Joining us now is Rob Howard, Professor of Old Age Psychiatry at UCL. Professor Howard, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us you've been quite critical. I mean, reading the headlines, this is a miracle drug. It's the turning point. It's the beginning of the end. It's just everything that anyone's been waiting for. And you've been very openly sceptical. This week on Twitter, you, in fact, called the drug ineffective. You know, you, you seem to be going against the grain slightly with with all this. And I, I just wanted to understand why. Well, thanks,
0: Barney. So, there's quite a lot to unpack, really, in response to, to, to your question. I suppose yes. the first thing to say is that I think all of us are agreed that the successful clinical trials of these anti amyloid antibodies are a tremendous scientific achievement. And the fact that we are able to actually interfere with what we consider to be the pathology of Alzheimer's disease and make some kind of change to the course of what happens to patients is obviously an extraordinary scientific achievement. So I wouldn't want to take anything away from the science and what's been achieved scientifically. I think the difficulty that I have as a clinician, somebody who sees and treats people with Alzheimer's disease, is just thinking about what the benefits of treatment really are in an individual patient. And if we look at, for example, the ADAS-COG scale, which is a scale of cognitive functioning that's used to assess the effect of drugs in Alzheimer's disease, on a ninety-point ADAS-Cog scale, the advantage of taking one of these drugs, the nanomap, for eighteen months was one point four points. And I think you know that the tiny size of that change immediately shows you the kind of level of effects that we're thinking about in terms of the the, you know, the, the kind of clinical usefulness of these treatments.
1: Can Can I just ask w- when we say that? You know, I mean, obviously in the press. Uh, we were looking at headlines talking about up to 60% slowing of symptoms. I mean, was that incorrect? Or, you know, how how does that sit with what you've just said?
0: I mean, there are complicated arguments about whether it's actually right or not to talk about slowing of disease. I mean, all we can really say from the clinical trial is that the outcome measures that we used that looked at things like cognition and function, the change, the actual difference between drug and placebo in the people who've got so the changes between drug and placebo on those measures, the absolute quantitative changes were absolutely tiny. So transferring those tiny changes into percentage slowing, I think is a bit problematic. And I can see why people do it because it's a way of making the results perhaps easy to understand, but it's slightly misleading, really. That's not really what the trials were set up to show. And in your introduction to me, you mentioned some of the stories in the papers of people actually improving when they take these treatments. Well, I don't think anybody who knows anything about these treatments would claim that they can actually improve cognition and function. The very best we can hope for is that they all ever so slightly slow down the rate at which people deteriorate. If you look at the, the graphs of what happened to people in these trials, everyone got worse, regardless of whether or not they got drug or placebo. The hope was that the people who got drug uh, got worse a little more slowly than those in placebo. So I'm afraid those stories in the papers of people being able to return to driving or being able to sort of recognise their grandchildren again when they've had treatment. I mean, those are really, I'm afraid, attributable to placebo effect because obviously it's very exciting and reassuring for people to be in these studies. You mentioned the placebo effect and...
1: Years ago, I I wrote a story about some dodgy doctor in California who was injecting people with all kinds of things into their spine and, you know, people who couldn't remember remember, anything.
0: I remember the story story well, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it it was very interesting learning then that there is this incredibly strong placebo effect with dementia, especially in the earlier stages. Could you explain, you know, what's
0: known about that, please? Yeah, well, look, I mean... It's not just at the early stages, at every stage in Alzheimer's mm. disease, there's a strong placebo effect. And that placebo effect is really the enemy of scientists who want to try and show that a treatment works in dementia. Because if the placebo is also, in inverted commas, working, it's a real challenge to show that your treatment is doing something above and beyond that. And you know, a lot of people say, well, how can people with Alzheimer's disease have a placebo effect? Some of them you know, don't even understand that, that they're unwell. And I think that's because the placebo effect is complicated, and it's not just tied up in things happening inside the patient. It's tied up in things happening inside the doctors who are treating them, uh, the family and carers who are around them, who are all, you know, hopeful and looking for some kind of change. If you think about it, homeopathy is really based on the placebo effect, and there are very successful veterinary homeopaths who treat people's pets with homeopathic medication and apparently see great results. And, I think that just shows you how important the system around the patient is in generating those effects.
2: Rob, there's been a a debate uh, that's lasted many years about whether amyloid is at the heart of the the cause of of dementia. And this drug, even though it is a small effect, does clearly show that something's going on when you attack amyloid. Do you think that it proves that the amyloid hypothesis is true?
0: So, I I I mean, I think, again, it's a complicated way question, really, to, um, to unpack there. So, what we know is that removing amyloid seems to have resulted in a very, very small improvement in symptoms. Now, we don't actually know whether that's because we've changed the course of the illness, so removing amyloid has actually stopped people progressing, or whether having the amyloid in people's brains was actually impairing the function of the neurons that were kind of left. And so removing that amyloid has just helped those neurons to work a little bit better. So there's great debate as to whether what we've seen is a true disease-modifying effect, i.e. removing amyloid really does slow down the progression, or whether it's a symptomatic benefit. So removing amyloid just helps the neurons that are left to work a bit better. I mean, we just don't know. What's interesting is that if you look at the graphs of people who got drug and placebo, they seem to separate quite early. Sometimes as early as three or six months in these trials. And that would kind of, to me, argue more for a symptomatic effect than for an effect of actually changing disease course.
1: This week, the Alzheimer's Society said that these results heralded the dawn of a future where dementia was treated like a chronic manageable illness, asthma, for instance. What do you think of that?
0: Well, it depends what you mean by the dawn of an age. I mean, you know, that that age might might take another hundred years to achieve. Mm. So I think if you interpret it like that, then that's fair. But I think to be suggesting that we can now treat Alzheimer's disease the way we treat asthma, clearly not not correct at the moment.
1: What they actually said was it was the first steps toward a future where asthma, you know, and and obviously this this was very much interpreted by all the reporters who very fairly, I think, reported that as as quite an
0: astonishing statement. Yeah, but a first step... (laughs) I mean, of course, it might be a first step, but there may be many hundreds of steps before we're actually able to think about some of these and maybe we do. I mean, it's actually really rewarding. Do do you think they would be misleading then? Um, Well, I mean, they're putting a very optimistic interpretation on what the data show. And I don't realistically see these drugs being in clinics and making a noticeable difference to patients, I'm afraid. And part of the reason
1: for that is because there are, as with all treatments, there, there are side effects and there were some very serious ones seen in, in these trials. And some people unfortunately died from these side effects. So, you know, you've got a situation where, I mean, I guess to draw a parallel with, with the cancer treatment, I think oncologists are very wary of, of not leaving patients disabled by side effects in order to save their life from cancer. I guess that must be the, the yeah, thing so, that you're so, weighing up as a clinician in your mind. Yeah.
0: So, so what I would say is that these drugs have shown efficacy, by which I mean the trials have shown a statistically significant difference between drug and placebo. But when we come to think about clinical effectiveness, which is whether the benefits are actually big enough to be noticeable and important, and whether when those benefits are weighed against the risks, and as you've said, the risks are actually pretty considerable and a bit frightening uh, with, with these treatments, I don't think these drugs can be considered to be regarded as effective. And, of course, they're going to be quite expensive. They're going to require us to completely sort of rejig the way our our services are run. We're going to have to start opening infusion centers. We're going to have to give people MRI scans every three months to monitor the side effects. You know, it's very, very difficult to see how our services could be rearranged without spending a lot of money. So even if these treatments were effective, it's going to be very hard, I think, to demonstrate that they're cost-effective within the NHS.
1: I mean, that's very difficult, I suppose, for patients. You, you, and you, you must understand this, that patients reading all this, what they'll be thinking is, well, you know, it's worth a try. It could do something. Nothing else can do anything. You know, these drugs could do something. So we have to be given the opportunity to take it.
0: Yeah. So, so I, I, I see that argument. And I think it's obviously it's really dangerous to make decisions based on desperation, which is what you're talking about. And I think I would say to people like that, well actually we know exactly what the benefits of these drugs are like to be because we can see the size of them in the clinical trial. And those benefits are so tiny that they wouldn't actually be noticeable in you as an individual patient. And have a look at the risks, have a look at the dangers. About one in a hundred patients treated with these drugs will suffer from a kind of life changing ARIA event. We'll talk about aria in a moment. And about one in two to one in three hundred people treated with the um, nanomab will actually die as a consequence of having an ARIA event. So, you know, the, the side effects are extremely troubling.
1: And ARIA is the, the brain swelling, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. So ARIA is it's like a euphemism, really, amyloid-related imaging abnormalities. So when people are treated with these antibodies, the antibodies generate an immune response in, in your brain. And that's associated with swelling of the brain that we can see on MRI scans and little micro-hemorrhages in the brain. And certainly when you look at the MRI images of people who've suffered these things, they they look pretty frightening. As a psychiatrist, I'd be very anxious if I gave a patient a treatment and it changed the appearance of the brain scan in that way. And we do know that some of the patients in the trials had very poor outcomes after they developed aria. The majority improved and got better after they'd had them. But as I said, you know, a proportion of patients actually died because of their aria.
1: Your words when you're you're describing the benefits I mean you call this a, a a scientific achievement,
0: and you said that it's shown
1: efficacy. this seems so out of step with what we 've been reading. How do you explain that kind of difference i'm just uh, i I really want to try and explain to the listeners how you know all the coverage that we 're seeing is is saying one thing and you're saying another <laughs> well it's not, it's not a very
0: comfortable position to be in. <laughs> because obviously I want to be positive and optimistic about progress in Alzheimer's disease, and I also want to encourage people to go on supporting research and to participate in trials so that we will have treatment. But Barney, what I've given you is, and what I've given the papers when I've spoken to them, is what my honest appraisal of where we are with these treatments is. And of course, this is the third. So Animab is a third of these drugs to appear. The first one is a drug called Aducanumab. And certainly when people first started talking about Aducanumab, about three years ago, and the results of the trials, I was always very cautious in, in, in the face of, lots of optimism and excitement. Nobody talks about aducanumab anymore. I think it's generally accepted that it wasn't an effective or useful treatment, and I suspect that we will come round to the same point of view about canumab and Nanimab over the next sort of months and years.
1: You're aware that, that many of your colleagues disagree that they want to see it approved, you know, and there's, there's clearly going to be quite a considerable push, isn't there? Reading between the lines, a lot of this. This hype has come directly from the drug company. They sent out a press release with the 60% line, which was, you know, the the most optimistic, the best possible outcome that they could have given people. And that was the top line of their press release. Uh, You know, I, I don't doubt that the case studies have been picked by the drug company in order to illustrate their story. I've certainly not seen such a strong marketing campaign for a drug I can't remember another one. Maybe there there might have been some cancer drugs in in the past. I mean, there are your colleagues who say it should be approved no matter what, but you disagree. You think
0: it shouldn't. Well, well, listen, when I don't blame the drug company, I mean, they've invested huge amounts of money and many years of research in developing drugs and carrying out the trials. And of course, you know, if it wasn't for drug companies, we wouldn't have any new treatment. So, you know, I absolutely don't blame them for putting the most positive, light that they can on their new treatment, because after all, this has become part of their marketing. And that's absolutely fine. And we'd, we'd be naive if we didn't think that drug companies would aggressively market a new product. I mean, if large numbers of people... I mean, there are many people around the world... Do you not think that they, if, it, if it worked really well, they wouldn't have to? Well, eh, you might say that. I couldn't possibly comment. I mean, was, I, <laughs> I mean uh, of, of course. of course, and, and, and I just want to say something about colleagues, because I don't mean to imply that any of my colleagues have any kind of sort of dubious motivation for wanting to see these treatments. I mean, everyone is excited by the science and by what's you know, obviously in advance in the science. And everyone is frustrated by not having treatments. To offer It's very demoralizing looking after people with Alzheimer's disease and just having to just watch them deteriorate without having any way of intervening. So I can completely understand why colleagues Are enthusiastic and excited about having an opportunity to to intervene and to do something and not just have to stand as a a, sort of passive bystander and just watch the disease progress. So, So, I wouldn't be critical of my colleagues who are advocating for this drug.
1: But you're saying you wouldn't want to see your patients take it, which is interesting. Well,
0: that's so my my appraisal of the evidence for the benefits and the risks is that overall, it wouldn't be good for the people that I see with early Alzheimer's disease to have these treatments. The benefits are so tiny. And the risks, I think, are very significant. I I can't just imagine how I would feel if I treated a patient and they'd had an ARIA event and had died or had had a stroke. It would be a terrible, terrible responsibility.
2: Rob, how far off do you think we are an effective Alzheimer's drug? Do you see it happening in the next 30 years, say?
0: Well, I mean, who knows if we'll still be on the planet in 30 years' time or whether we'll have, we'll have been boiled alive by global warming? <laughs> Good answer. I mean, nobody knows. I mean, I'm afraid I can't see anything that's going to come in the next five or ten years, just looking at the pipeline of treatments coming through. But, you know, I don't think we should be too demoralized by that, because Alzheimer's disease, you know, it's a really, really complicated and difficult problem to crack. I mean, it's not a trivial problem. It may take us 100 years to beat Alzheimer's disease. But, you know, we will, of course, ultimately do so. But what we need to do is, is push on. We need to understand more about how the brain works. We need to understand more about the mechanisms of Alzheimer's disease. The fact that we're still debating whether or not amyloid is important in driving disease forward just shows you how ignorant we actually are about the fundamental mechanisms of the disease. So it'll only be when we've got more knowledge. This is why we have to do research. People have to keep uh, donating to research supporting charities because it'll only be through a better understanding of neuroscience, a better understanding of the pathology of the disease that we'll be able to develop treatments that have any chance of working. At the moment, you know, we're just so ignorant, really, about the brain and how it works and what happens when it goes wrong.
1: Well, Professor Rob Howard, thank you very much for finding some time to talk to us. Well, thank you both very much. Thank you. Well, I, I, I'm aware that that would have made quite depressing listening for some people. It's no joy reporting this kind of thing. We would love it to be you know, the breakthrough that everyone was waiting for, but it just doesn't look like... It is that.
2: No, and in fact, when I spoke to Rob Howard earlier this week, he said to me he's fed up of having to give the negative spin on the stories and always be the downer and tell everybody the reality, which is that it's just not that wonderful.
1: And I suppose you know, in the bigger picture of things, it's really difficult for for us as as ordinary. I suppose you know, we're the ordinary people. You know, we're the people whose lives are affected by mm. people with with Alzheimer's, etc. We, we, you know, we're not medical professionals, and so I can completely understand the desire to find something. But my big worry is that if everything is channeled into this. Mm which isn't that great, and people get the idea that this is the drug that everyone needs and that somehow the NHS is pressured into providing this, you know, because that can happen, you know, Mm. things pick up enough political weight they can end up getting approved even if they're more expensive and don't there was some kind of calculation i saw today published that was suggested it in america at least on this drug it would cost something like two hundred thousand dollars to extend healthy life for one year on this drug so i mean it's it's going to be expensive or the nhs would never pay that much because of the economy of Mm -hmm. scale because Mm -hmm. so many people would be given a a drug on the nhs but but you know even if something is crazy expensive you can end up with enough political pressure to approve it mm-hmm. so then but then if the nhs spends all the money on that what aren't they spending the money on or, or would something that was more effective down the line and even more expensive then they just couldn't afford it i you know it's, yeah. it's really kind of a house of cards these kinds of things yeah, yeah. and i always try and defer at this point to the qualified professors who really know Me their too. stuff <laughs> And what do they think should happen?
2: But there are some who are more optimistic and are saying that this is an excellent step in the right direction and Mm. this could be the start of something brilliant.
1: Yeah. And I mean, on the trial, Mm. it showed that I think around a third of patients had a very long delay in any symptoms worsening. Don't quote me on this. Mm. Joe McFarland, our reporter, has been working working on on this this week. But I think around a, th- a third of patients may have had many months, even up to a year, where their condition didn't get any worse. Yeah. And and well, so there that's were, not
2: insignificant. There I were mean...
1: fewer uh, in the placebo group, although there were people in the placebo group who didn't get any worse yeah. as well. So yeah. you know, it swings roundabouts. Yeah,
2: because I mean, what Rob Howard is saying about is a very very small. Benefit. improvement it's di- it's so difficult to quantify because of course if you're one individual who is that lucky person who you know gets a great benefit from this drug mm. and their symptoms plateau for up to a year that's mm. that's obviously you know that's life changing that's incredible mm. but it's a numbers game really isn't it
1: Yes, well, I mean, we're going to try and keep providing our listeners and readers with the most balanced and uh, factual account of of these drugs. So please do uh, bear with us. It might not always be good news. And that's all we've got time for this week. If you want to read about this, we're going to go into far more depth uh, in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday which you can consume in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app.
2: We'll be back with another topic on Mental Minefield next week. See you then.
0: Bye.